Welcome to the Activist Insight Podcast, Beyond the Boardroom, a supplement to our monthly podcast, which takes you through the top shareholder activism stories as told by Activist Insight Monthly. Here, we'll discuss shareholder activism with some of the industry's top experts. I'm Ilana DeRay, a financial reporter with Activist Insight, and today we'll chat with Dan Zakay from Sloan & Company. Dan is a managing director at Sloan, where he advises a range of clients on communication strategies around shareholder activism, M&A, restructuring, and more. Today, Dan will give us a few tips on how to run a successful PR campaign. Hi, Dan. Welcome to the show. In your opinion, what are the key elements of a successful PR campaign? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I think that some key elements that are really important when you're talking about how PR can support an activism campaign, whether you're on the company side or on the investor side, one key thing is definitely strategy and organization. So you have to really understand going into the campaign, what are the main objectives that you're trying to achieve? For example, is this a fight where moving the needle with the retail vote is really going to be what matters? Are ISS and Glass-Lewis going to decide the contest? Uh, is it literally one or two holders that you need to reach in order to win? And from there, you can map out everything else. And that includes the cadence, the timing of announcements, when you might want to do certain activities with digital elements or with the press. But you really have to get those core strategic elements established first and then work backwards from there. Message and tone are also really key. You have to take the time to really understand what the core messages of the campaign are going to be. Once you sort of come out of the gate and, and once you have your arguments, you can't really put that genie back in the bottle. It's just not something that works. The narrative, once it's established, whether that's in the press or with your own releases, or your own letters, it kind of is what it is. And you can certainly adapt it and, and add to it, but you really can't reverse it. So I think getting the message right is really important. Maybe the third thing I'd mention for a, for a really important element of, of a successful PR campaign is just understanding the role the media plays. You need to work with the media as collaboratively as possible. It's more than just putting out a press release or even giving some member of the press a 30-minute exclusive on a certain story. I think that in a really successful campaign, you're able to use the media as a way to reinforce and carry your messages. And that means having an ongoing dialogue with them and really ensuring that all the reporters who are covering or, or might cover the situation, whether those are the activism beat reporters, the reporters who cover the industry that the fight's taking place in, or also the governance or more generally focused reporters who, who could write thoughtful columns on the situation. You've got to be having a dialogue or at least accounting for in your strategy, all these di these different elements in the media, because just like in any campaign, they can be influential. Is it wise to respond to every jab your opponent publishes? No. Look, if the other side says something that doesn't really land a punch or maybe even makes them come off looking desperate or unhinged, let them. You don't want to bail them out by then coming in over the top with something that's even more shrill, right? So that can kind of get out of hand. Um, I've been in campaigns where some of the most challenging moments are trying to convince clients that they don't need to respond to a response. It, it can kind of spiral out of control very quickly, but part of your job as an advisor is to try to limit that reaction in them and to help explain to them why that's not always the best move. Now that said, if the other side puts something out and you know it could resonate with investors, you know it's going to drive media attention or, or both, then you generally do want to respond. And I think that you want to do so quickly within the same news cycle, particularly if you think that the facts are on your side. Really, though, the main thing, I think, when it comes to understanding, do you respond? When do you respond? How do you respond? I really believe that inertia is a campaign killer. These situations move really fast. A response on Monday to something said by the other side Friday is less than ideal. 
early on in my career, I was working on the activist side of a situation where the activist had nominated privately. And it was a very well-known name. The company actually came out and sort of outed the activist. And they proactively put out a release saying that the activist had nominated privately and listing all the reasons why they weren't going to really consider their nominations and basically making them look pretty foolish. And the activist took days and days to calibrate their response and decide what they wanted to do. And at that point, the campaign was effectively done. So I think that's a, a good example of, of when you really need to understand that Responding every single time and having knee-jerk reactions to every piece of mail or release put out by the other side, that doesn't make sense. But you do have to really think thoroughly and thoughtfully about when you should respond and how you should respond. How do you turn bad news into a good PR opportunity? Well, first of all, I think if you could guarantee that, that then you'd be right up there with those guys turning water into wine and you'd have a very, very successful career in public relations. Um, but it's not really always about turning bad news into good. I think most investors and media are really smart. You can't spin your way out of a bad TSR performance or a dis- disappointing quarter. That said, I, th- I think there's really an advantage you can have when you're able to get out ahead of something that would typically be perceived as bad news, right? For example, if you're taking a legal action or making a decision that would be perceived as limiting the rights of shareholders, which obviously most other shareholders, as well as the index funds and the proxy advisory firms, they hate. So if you can take something like that and really own the narrative around it, explain why it makes sense, why it's actually good for all shareholders, that can be effective. And a lot of times in a campaign, even among very smart advisors, you will encounter hesitancy to be proactive or to get out ahead of things or, or to be aggressive. And, and with good reason, right? Everyone wants to make sure that they're being prudent and that they're being smart. But if you're going to be announcing something that is going to fall in that category of quote unquote bad news, you've got to try something different than just putting it out there and hoping for the best. Another example would be I was on a fight last year. Uh, it was a control fight. So stakes were pretty high. And And the investor found out that they were receiving no support from the leading proxy advisory firm. So what we were able to do was to quickly refocus on what we had seen as a flaw in the methodology of the proxy advisory firm's decision. And we actually had a majority female slate in this contest and were able to really focus on that and focus on the argument that, okay, you're saying that our slate is disqualified because they don't have enough public company board experience. But when you look at how hard it is for women in America to get on public company boards in the first place, isn't this going to be a self-perpetuating problem? We took some lemons and we effectively made some governance lemonade, which was helpful to us. But but again, I mean, you have to be really creative and, and, and quick in these situations, uh, or you have to be very thoughtful and deliberative and willing to maybe be more aggressive ultimately than, than you would otherwise. How do you ensure a press release attracts shareholder votes and garner media attention. Sure. So attacking the second point first, not every press release in an average fight is going to get media attention. And that's absolutely fine. Now, clients don't always understand that, but it's absolutely fine. Because if you are involved in a situation where the company is a mid-cap that some people know, but not everyone knows, and you're putting out your ninth press release in the past three weeks, it's not necessarily news. Now, that said, there are ways that you can, I think, 
make sure that, that the releases and letters and news moments that really matter do get media coverage. I think that working with the press ahead of time to ensure that they understand the news is coming, to ensure they understand what the news means, using the ability to give something under uh, embargo or as an exclusive to the right outlet, that can also really help your story. You know, again, it's all about having that ongoing dialogue with the media and understanding sort of how to how to utilize the press and social media as another channel to help you reach investors. Um, in, in terms of ensuring that your press release attracts shareholder votes, you can certainly do lots of things like put graphics and colors and charts. And that is really helpful, particularly with retail investors who are getting inundated with mailings and, and maybe aren't going to sit down and read a 14-page letter. But I think with when it comes to getting votes from the large institutions who ultimately decide most fights, right? It, it's got to be about the content. And it's about making sure that you're staying on message, that you're concise, that it's understandable, that you're persuasive. Um, So not to keep reverting back to my first points, but you really have to be consistent and confident in your message. When is the best time to send out a press release and why? Well, I guess that depends on whether you want people to see it or not. On the show, The West Wing, they used to call dumping bad news on a Friday afternoon, uh, taking out the trash. And I think traditionally that that's still kind of held. But it's also a bit of a red flag for anyone who is paying attention that this is something the company or the investor does not want you to see. So it, it can backfire a little bit these days. Uh, look, I mean, there's not a tremendous amount of science to this. Generally, we like to get a release out pre-market at 8 or 9 a.m. It can get a little trickier when you think the other side might have news too, right? Um, a great example of this is around ISS and Glass-Lewis recommendations, where both sides are scrambling to get their perspective on the ruling and, and what you know what elements of the, the recommendation they liked out there ahead of the other to drive the press and reactions. And, um, and, and in those cases, you'll oftentimes see releases going out at 6 a.m. just to get out there first. So it depends. And, and look, back to uh, talking earlier about, about the need to be quick in these situations and, and not to sit on things forever and ever. We've had times where I'm happy just to get something out. I don't care if it's at three o'clock or even even 430 or five o'clock. Uh, and you have time zones that come into play. So really the time absolutely matters. You want press releases to be seen by people that are important and by the largest number of constituents possible. But there are a lot of nuances that can come into play there. What are some common mistakes you try to encourage clients to avoid? How much time do you have? Tell me what you got. No, so so look, I think the biggest mistake that clients make, and, and this is definitely most common when you're working with someone involved in their first proxy contest, which is almost always the case uh, on the corporate side, but is often the case with large shareholders who have never done a proxy fight before. There's the real danger of letting things get too emotional. And I get it. Like, it's hard, right? I mean, if you're a CEO and you've got this investor who's out there criticizing your job performance, calling for your head, essentially implying that without any proprietary knowledge of your business and without any any time spent in your boardroom, that he could run the business better than you, it's a pretty galling thing. And understandably, a lot of CEOs and also board members, they take that very personally. And unfortunately, that can sometimes become the lens 
through which they consider strategy and tactics and approach. And I wouldn't say that I'm ever successful or wherever successful totally minimizing that, but it's always something you have to manage through. And on the opposite side, I have had a couple of clients uh, and you know CEOs and board members who are able to be totally dispassionate about it. And frankly, that that's always a better outcome. Now on the investor side, uh, <laughs> I think all you have to do is read some of the letters that some activists put out to understand that, that there's a lot of emotion there too. And a big challenge is getting them not to say things that are inflammatory or are really only helpful in the heat of the moment. You're not doing a proxy fight, whether you're an advisor or a principal or an investor who signed on to one side or the other. You're not doing a proxy fight to have fun or feel good. You're doing it ultimately because you believe in your case and you believe in your side and you believe in your arguments. So really limiting that emotional element is so key. You know, we talked about this a little bit, but we, we find this in, in, in a lot of contests. Just minimizing that instinct to respond to every single point. A rebuttal deck to a 50-page presentation can't be 150 pages. People just aren't going to digest it. They're not going to care. So you have to always prioritize what arguments makes make sense to include and to put out there and which ones don't, right? Which ones can you just maybe address in one-on-one investor conversations? Which ones can you tackle in your next letter as opposed to having to issue a statement on the back of, of what they're saying in order to get your points across? And, and again, I understand, right? You, you see someone either saying something about your company or saying something about your fund or your integrity that you believe is is an attack on you and, and, and is untrue. The natural human response is to want to punch back. And a lot of times that's the right move because you certainly don't want to let something linger out there and not correct the record. But a lot of times it can be more trouble than it's worth. And and, and again, trying to manage that natural instinct within clients is, is always a challenge. Similarly, I think that, and this this is usually when the, the yelling and the displeasure falls on myself or the other PR or IR advisors, you can't fixate on one bad story, right? You just can't because with the exception of a couple of campaigns I've been part of, there's always going to be one bad story. More likely, there's, there are going to be a number of bad stories or at least stories out there or even analysts sell side reports out there that are imperfect. And you have to have a sober view of the fact that the media is going to take take perspectives. They're going to sort of glom on to the more interesting, dynamic, confrontational language in a proxy fight. I'm not going to say that one story has never won or lost a proxy fight because that's not true. I think that one story has won or lost proxy fight and that I've been involved in a couple of them. But you certainly can't act like every story is going to win or lose a proxy fight. That can just be a huge time waster and it just results in a lot of emotional management versus strategic management. And anytime you're doing the former more than the latter, that's not going to be good for anyone involved. Okay. That was very insightful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me and really enjoyed the conversation. That was Dan Zakay, a Managing Director at Sloan & Co. That's it for this episode of the Activist Insight Podcast, Beyond the Boardroom. If you would like to join us on a future episode, or if you have any comments or questions, please email press at activistinsight.com. Please do rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you are using to help others access our reporting. I'm Ilana DeRay. Thanks for listening.